Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Incomparable, number 678, August 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode, we are reconvening our book club as we continue our sprightly march, nay, uh, dance, uh, promenade, uh, just uh, we're, we're, we're skipping along through the flowers as we go from nominated novel to nominated novel with the Hugos and the Nebulas. When we last left our book club, the Hugo Award nominations had not come out yet. They have now arrived. And uh, that's good because one of the books that we read, well, both of the books we read for this episode were nominated for Hugo Awards. One of them was nominated for a Nebula so we could get ahead on that one, but we had to like wait for the other list to come out to decide what else we, we would read. So this episode, uh, we've got uh, two Nebula, uh, one Nebula Award nominated novel, two Hugo Award nominated novels, but not three novels, just two novels because one of them got both. Let me introduce my book club, we finally can reconvene now that the Hugos gave us a, a, a couple more books to read. Uh, Aline Sims is here. Hello. Hello. I I read books. Yeah, that's good. That's all we ask. Honestly, yeah. it's a very low bar here. You got to read the books, or you can't be on the book club. Erica Ensign is here. Hello. Hello. I stepped over the bar and read some books. Thanks. They were on the other side of the bar. Of the mm-hmm, sure. That yeah, that works. That's we 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 want you to get a very small amount of exercise, so we place the books on the other <laughs> side of the bar and make you go get them. It works. And Scott McNulty is here. Hi, Scott. Hello. You read all the books. I don't read all the books. I I mean I read many books. I, there are a lot of books every books. every year. Mm-hmm. There are more books out there. I yes, I was looking. I, I was looking at some people's Goodreads uh, paces, and was reminded that some people like Scott read lots of books. <laughs> oh, I, I would wager that I have not read the most books on this podcast this year thus far. I would imagine. But Oh, interesting. Well, we're not going to read like 150. See? Oh, ah! <laughs> I do. I follow Aline on the social medias. I, I know. <laughs> I feel shame. Yeah. I read like four to 12 books a week, depending upon what's going on. Okay. Well, good night, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This does explain why when I ask, what are we reading at the end? You want to list like 10 things. It's like, yes, no, exactly. that's too many. Yep. <laughs> that's what pick I'm reading one, this week. Pick two. <laughs> All right. Uh, in this episode, we are going to be discussing the Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi, which was nominated for the Hugo and Nona to the Ninth by Tamsin Muir, nominated for the Hugo and the Nebula. It's a crossover. Ooh. Although uh, I should mention, since the Hugo Awards came uh, nominations came out, that Legends and Lattes and Nettle and Bone, which we already talked about, are also Hugo Award nominees, thereby mm-hmm. reducing the number of books we have to read in order to cover both. Uh, thanks, 
you go. We're <laughs> we're efficient. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's I love it. I love it when I don't mm-hmm. have uh, you know. I mean, I like to I like to read books. Don't get me wrong, but when fewer books are assigned to me and I can choose the rest, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's pretty great. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's start. Uh, okay, let's start with Nona the Ninth by Ta- Tamsin Muir. <laughs> this is the third oh, book God. in the Locked Tomb trilogy that is increasingly misnamed because it's now four books, and therein lies a story. Because Nona the Ninth was apparently a kind of interstitial scene between book two and book three, and it got longer and longer and longer. And at some point, Tamsin Muir's editor agent—I'm not sure who. Did the, I think, the smart thing of saying, you know, maybe this is a four book series and we can cut this out and then you can sell two books instead of one book and make more money. And this is, you got all the nominations and people are reading and they obviously like it because you got the nominations. So mm-hmm. let's do that. So that's apparently the backstory. Uh, and explain something about how strange this book is because Nona the Ninth is the story of a character named Nona who is living on a planet that is not Earth uh, because the Tomb series is set long in a far, far future where lots of weird things involving necromancy have uh, and science <laughs> have happened. Uh, so she's on a planet, which as we've determined before, is in space because planets are in space. But mm-hmm. uh, she's on are. a planet and it's very apocalyptic and there's like bad stuff above in the air and there's bad stuff around. But a bunch of kids still just want to go to school. And one of those people is Nona, although Nona is in the body of an adult, but has the mind of a child. And over over time, what we discover is that Nona is in the body of Harrowhawk, Harrowhawk, Harrowhawk. Uh, Harrow, the the star of the last two books or one and a half books, um, but has been has basically no memory before being instantiated. So it's like a a little, I don't know what a a a new mind in an an older body. But Harrow or Nona helps out at the school and and has a has a couple of parents. It's also very interesting because those parents are actually. Uh, characters from the previous books, but they've been inserted in other bodies, um, which leads to some interesting little quirks. So that's all going on. And there's a lot of uh, uh, things tied to the sort of like where the plot of the first two books ended up before this one that push, puts pressure on all the characters and it does lead to a, a dramatic conclusion. Uh, but I also want to mention that it's it's interleaved with chapters that surprised me quite a bit that are set on Earth in the far past explaining Mm -hmm. the origin story of john who is essentially god in these books and uh he invents necromancy and (laughs) ends up consuming the earth all those things happen Uh, so no 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 a real i would say change of pace for a lot of its run from the previous books Mm -hmm. in this series which were mostly about what it's like uh lesbian space necromancers was the elevator pitch and this is Mm -hmm. sort of like that's kind of a kid and an apocalypse and also a guy who's learning to reanimate people on earth and in like florida which is the most like this is one of those series that like earth is doesn't even exist it was like so far in the past that it's irrelevant just forget about earth and this book is like oh yeah we're in florida what are you gonna do about it like what <laughs> huh? hmm? very strange book very very strange what did you all think of known of the ninth i surprised myself by 
quite enjoying it. Um, I was not looking forward to it so much so that I decided not to spend any money on it because I struggled. Like I, I think in the uh, in in the book club where we covered the Harrow book, I I ended up being impressed by the swing, but not really enjoying my experience of trying to follow through it because it was just, you know, unreliable narrator stuff can sometimes be really challenging. Yep. And that one very much was. And I decided I wasn't going to back, go back and read that book again. Um, and instead, I was just going to dive into Nona and I took it out from the library. Go libraries. <laughs> and um, I really found it I think it was because you mentioned, Jason, it's it's different. Uh, I found it way easier than I expected it to. Nona is a delightful character. She's very sweet. Um, and she doesn't really understand what's going on. And I was like, yeah, babe, I am right there with you. <laughs> Finally, a protagonist just as confused by the book as the reader. I, was, I and And I thought that was... That was such a perfect thing for this point in this series, which has just been so hard. I was just like, oh, I can just I can just relax and I don't actually need to know what's going on because she doesn't know. And, and she's happy. She's so happy. She's very cheerful about everything. It was like it was this little spot of of brightness and joy in my day when I would sit down and I would read. And and I think I needed to read a book from the from the perspective of a protagonist who was just so gosh darn positive and actually was hopeful that things are going to turn out okay because she loves the people around her and she she trusts them and i i just it just brought me an immense amount of joy and i really didn't understand what was going on with the earth bits uh because you know after the last book i was like are these things really happening what does it mean is somebody dreaming like what is what what is going on so i kind of just like you know i would read through those and be like okay now i'm back to nona and she is she's helping children who are you know thieves and tiny mm -hmm. tinies i like <laughs> i like that she called the little ones tinies yeah i like that too yeah, I was just like, that's that is the kind of language that I would use. Right. And they're in school. But yeah, some of them are also in like gangs and they're they're they're, they're going to do <laughs> yep. what, be a, like a heist at one point. And yeah, all that <laughs> stuff is going on. It was it was very interesting to sort of see how regular people live in this world, because the, the first two books were very sort of self-contained in terms of their location. And you kind of knew that there was a greater universe out there, but uh, the people in that greater universe were really incidental, and it seemed like nobody cared very much about what happened to them. And suddenly here we're in a book where we care very much about what is happening to the people who happen to live on this planet. Um, they, they're not in great shape because, <laughs> because all the people with a lot of power kind of suck. And uh, it was really interesting to just get a completely different perspective. And every once in a while there would be something that was very clearly a reference to a thing that probably I was supposed to remember from one of the previous books. And I was just like, you know what? I don't mm -hmm. know what that is. And I am okay with it. And it didn't actually hurt my enjoyment of the book the way that I think it might have like a few years back when I was way pickier about that sort of thing. And um, when Nona sort of figured out what was happening at the end, uh, I like it sort of crystallized for me a little bit. And I came through it being like, yeah, it was the right decision not to go back and read the other book. And I yeah. enjoyed this. Yeah, I know what you're saying about the twist. The, the, I find these books, and I know I said this about the last two, which is I find them overly complex and dense in a sense that while I admire an author saying you're just going to have to figure it out, 
I feel like there's also some responsibility by an author to have your readers understand what you're writing. It's a it's tricky. Like there's no right answer there, but I felt like these books just don't do it well enough in terms of explaining and reminding and making mm -hmm. everybody understandable and, and rememberable, you know, and I know it's been, you know, a year since I read the last one, but I got to those moments in this book where there's like, oh, and it's this person in another body. And I'd be like, I guess I, that's somebody. Um, <laughs> and, and it, right. I just couldn't, because I can only remember a handful of characters and there are so many characters in this. Mm. So I just, I just rolled with it like you, Erica. And then I was like, you know, I'm just reading this book now. And <laughs> if I, if I, if it, if it hits me with some memory, I'm going to go like, oh yeah. But most of it's like, oh, but did you know that this is the Cavalier of the fourth, which if you remember from the first book, I'm like, nope, don't remember that from mm -mm. the first book at all. Just let, just going to let it go. So mm -hmm. here's the thing. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, there are a lot of things, but um, a thing. Here's a thing. Uh, give us here's, a thing. Here's mm -hmm. a thing. When I contemplated reading Nona the Ninth, which I said I would not do unless it was nominated for an award, and I had to do it for this podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, oh. It was nominated for both. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, when the universe laughs at you. Um, <laughs> So, so I was thinking, all right, no, no, the ninth, I'm just going to dive in and uh, did it as an audiobook. listened to the first two hours, was like, I have no freaking clue what is happening. <laughs> I will reread Harrow the Ninth. I did not like Harrow the Ninth. I loved Gideon, did not like Harrow the Ninth. I will take one for the book club team so that I can discuss this book. Oh, bless you. And... Rereading Harrow the Ninth did not help me in any way, shape, or form with understanding <laughs> Nona the Ninth. Um, I needed to read Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth to be able to catch all of the references in Nona the Ninth, even the big ones. And Jason, you've already made the point, like this is such a complex universe. And for me as a reader, there's not enough payoff. There's just not enough payoff because I'm getting a little bit of like, I should know who that is, but I don't. So I just kind of feel lost. And I can sympathize and empathize with Nona quite a bit because she's just living her little it-controlled life and doing her thing. And it's um, our ego-controlled life, I guess. But like, it just, there's not enough payoff for me. And I'm listening to these books. They're, I think, I think Harrow the Ninth is 18 hours long and Nona the Ninth is... 19 or something like that. Like these are massive, massive books and there's not enough payoff for me. It just, I, I these are the books every so often we do an episode and I'm like, I don't understand why everyone loves these books. And these are those books for me this year. Like I just, <laughs> I don't get it. I do not understand why people like them so much. If people want to write to me and tell me that's amazing because I just, <laughs> I've read reviews. Um, I had, it, and I had the wiki open. <laughs> like there's a locked tomb wiki, of course, had it open <laughs> the entire time I was listening and Ouch. still didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm in the wrong headspace for it or if it's really, that complex and it's probably a combination of the two factors um there's also some like it's just 
both Harrow the Ninth and, and Nona the Ninth have been PTSD triggers for me, so that doesn't help them no. um, at all. Um, but even like separating that as much as I can, they're just they're really hard for me. They're really hard for me. Scott, what about you? Uh, well, so I understand why this book was nominated for the Nebula and the Hugo. I think it is well constructed. I think it is interesting. Uh, and I think I was completely uninterested in Nona, the character, and her entire storyline uh, up until the last third of the book, which made it difficult and boring for me to read because I just didn't <laughs> care about this person. I want to read... I want to read the Locked Tomb series to learn about what these weird godlike things are doing and not what a childlike thing that is trapped in a body of a godlike thing is doing on a planet we haven't met before. That seems pretty crappy. I want uh, them to be fighting incomprehensible battles and trying to solve mysteries, uh, not doing whatever it is they were doing for most of this book. That being said, I really liked the parts set in the distant past where uh, John invents necromancy and people are weirded out by it. I wanted yeah. a whole novel about that because I thought that was super interesting. Uh, and I liked the ending when all the characters, you know, all the godlike characters arrive and things finally start to happen. Um, but that that is not a lot of this book. And so... I didn't really like it. <laughs> I uh, I feel very weird about this book because I actually kind of like the Nona parts um, as its own thing. Like I said, if you if you take it to be this kind of sunny childlike character who's trying who do, just doesn't understand what's going on, and it's an extremely strange situation where this planet is sort of falling apart, and there are larger forces out there. I and 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 you know her parents are. Um, are fascinating because it's like it's one it's one parent in one body and two different parents who share a different body and their genders don't match and it's you're like what is this all about and it's like it's very interesting and I I enjoyed that and I like the little kids the you know the kids who are you know getting into trouble and stuff like that I think that's all very interesting it's not this series at all but I I liked it I enjoyed it as it went I do think it. It goes on too long, and I think it gets worse as it goes because it is revealing things that I don't remember and adding complexities <laughs> in terms of the politics of these, you know, nigh-immortal beings uh, that hold power over the universe that I find a lot less interesting, which is why the series doesn't really hasn't really worked for me. Like, I thought the first one was okay, and I hated the second one. Um, this one, you know... it. it in a sense, I liked it because for a while it wasn't like those books. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I and, and I really, I really enjoyed the stuff back on Earth that sort of explains how this completely bizarre universe came to be because I had just never thought that would be ever addressed, right? I thought it would just be like, well, this is a weird place that we are in and these people have these powers and that there's this guy who's sort of in charge and that's it. And it's like, no, like literally there's a there's a scientist on earth who figures out how to control dead bodies and he ends up like as the earth is falling apart and he ends up like consuming the life force of the earth and ascending into godhood as you do as one does so yeah, it's a solution i thought that was really interesting when it gets to the end and there's a lot of 
there's a lot of like we've got the snipers over here and the and the rockets are coming down over here and we're gonna get there's gonna be a switcheroo on a spaceship and all of that which I'm imagining the effect is meant to be that you, as a fan of this series you stand up at that point and you're like yes aha it's all coming back now and that was the part that lost me where I was like you know I actually don't care <laughs> about any of the any of the machinations here at the end so I felt like. It was very weird because I got less interested as I went, but I did I did like the fact that a lot of it was not like the rest of the series because I liked that part better. In the end, do I think this book was <laughs> successful? Well, no, because it's not like the other books in the series. It really is just like a, a digression. Um, if I was a fan of the series and I got to book three, I think I would feel offended that it's really book two and a half and book three isn't going to come out yet. Um, but you know, at the same time, I think there are lots of parts of it that I enjoyed probably more than the other two books. So I don't know. It, it was a very, it's a very weird book. Very weird. But yeah, it's my favorite so far. Yeah. <laughs> I do think, as we said with Harrow the Ninth, I think like it's really bold for these books in a trilogy oh. to be so different from one another. Muir takes and big swings. Yeah, right? like the biggest. I just I I got to say I I really even though it doesn't work for me, I really really admire that. Um however, part of the reason it doesn't work for me is because the continuity and the like the feeling that I know what I'm getting into is totally shattered with all of them. So, it's kind of a a double-edged sword, I guess. Yeah, her I mean her ambition is amazing and I really appreciate that but that like with the with the second book I, my feeling about it was that I I admired the ambition but it may, it created a book that I didn't want to read because mm -hmm. it's so obscure for so long about what's going on so that she can have a twist and while they are as for those who don't uh, remember there's you know lots of very exciting things involving soup um oh God, on a right. spaceship <laughs> the bone marrow I, I appreciate you know again i appreciate the ambition but i just didn't think it worked right and i think it's fair uh, everybody can have their own opinion of course but like i think it's fair to 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 look at something like that and say like that you tried it didn't work uh you know it didn't you you raised the bar in terms of difficulty and then you couldn't clear it uh, and this book i feel like it, on some levels is easier because it's like let's just tell another couple of stories that don't require as much baggage that's the origin story over here and the story about nona over here and we'll mix in some stuff and then it sort of like comes to a head plot wise so that we can get back on the train for book four and you know in some ways i think i was more impressed with muir muir's versatility in telling these other stories instead of the story that she really you know i think wants to tell that is the one that i'm not as interested in Mm. And I'm more interested in that other story. Yeah, fair. I think that's fair. I think I think <laughs> yeah. most of the people who you know nominate these things, I think they are more interested in that story. Certainly, it didn't really give you Scott what the other books in the series promised, right? Which is just broad, wide screen people mm. with powers of gods, and there's mysteries and there's wild ideas about necromancy and all that. And that, this book mm, doesn't really have that. No, and mm -hmm. I think I, I would have liked this book that section like i think like i said i think it's well written i don't think it's like a it's a bad book but it is not what i was it's not what i thought was going to be in the tin yeah, that i opened sure. right and so mm -hmm. i was prepared for one thing and i got something else uh that eventually turns into the other thing kind of um, sort of but yeah. it was like uh, no thank you 
Oh, yeah. At, at that end part where it started to sort of turn back toward uh, sort of what we were expecting, I found myself getting sadder and more scared. <laughs> like, oh no, this interlude is coming to an end. Mm. I can smell it. And uh, and yeah, so that was a that was a little bit, especially you know, since you know I had come to love Nona, and then I was like, oh my god, what's going to happen to Nona at the end of this? I don't know, and I'm scared. Um, and I think the other thing that I just realized that was was kind of fun is that. Because I had gone in just being okay with not knowing what was happening, every time I did get a reference, I was like, oh, that guy. I remember that guy vaguely. <laughs> oh, that guy. I felt so like yeah. it was like it was, you know, this warmth and, and smile. like I still don't know who that one of her parents is. But that one, I remember him. He <laughs> he right. wore glasses. Yeah. Like, so it was it was like probably the same feeling that the people who are really invested in it got immediately because they you know recognized it. It took me a little while. And then I had this little warm. Oh, a little bit of a nice, nice feeling there. <laughs> oh, well. You know, I feel like everybody who wanted to read it probably already read it, but there, there it is. Do you, you know? Do do you need to read it? I don't know if you do. Even if you read the first two, I don't think do you, you need, need to read, read it. And and yet, I I kind of I kind of liked it more than I thought. So go figure. I, I think if you're a fan of this series, this book's not for you. But if you're not a fan of the series and yet feel compelled to read book three, it, you might like it better series. than the first two. I don't understand how that works. Probably not the best. Probably not the best thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's confusing, just it like the book is yeah. confusing. Let me take a little break from The Incomparable for a moment just to tell you about our sponsor. This is a very special sponsor. It's an app. It's by my pal Casey List. It's called Call Sheet. It's an iOS app that answers the question, who's that guy? I know that guy from somewhere. Now, in the past, if you're watching a TV show or a movie, you might get to the point where you say, wait a second. I don't know who this is, or isn't this person in something else? And you would call up IMDb. I think that's what we all would do. Fact is, IMDb, it's owned by Amazon. It's kind of a mess these days. I don't like it. So Casey built Call Sheet. It is fast. It is ad-free. It respects its users. It is using great data from the movie database. It's got a bunch of extra features that are really nice. It'll hide spoilers on TV shows so you won't know whether that person that you really like is getting killed off in season two. It's got integration with Just Watch so you can find out where that movie or TV show you're looking up is streamable right now, which is pretty awesome. You can customize what link gets there. There's a, there's You can link it to IMDb Trivia if you want to read that. There are so many different things you can do. It is a, again, fast, ad-free friendly way to browse movie and TV information and it's free to download and then there's a subscription afterward but here's the beauty part Casey's really built this app to respect the user you could try it out for free you get a bunch of searches before it's going to ask you to subscribe and by then you'll know by then you'll know whether it's worth it to have this app to do all of your hey it's that guy searching into the future I recommend it. I think you should check it out. You may like it too. Here's where you go. Callsheetapp.com slash incomparable. That's it. Callsheetapp.com slash incomparable. Check it out. Read about what Casey did to build this thing and uh, give it a try. You will find out. I really like using it. Very. It's built with a lot of care that I don't see in a lot of other websites about movies and TV shows these days. Check it out. Call Sheet. That's callsheetapp.com.
callsheet.com. Thank you to Callsheet for sponsoring The Incomparable. All right, let us move on and talk about John Scalzi. And he's back. He's back on the charts. He's back on the <laughs> on the on the award nomination train. He has been nominated for many awards over the over time. I feel like it's been a little while though. But anyway, he was declining them for a while. Ah, so. uh, interesting. Well, yeah. he he didn't. He he's at the point now in his career where he's accepting them again. And what he's accepted <laughs> is a Hugo nomination for the Kaiju Preservation Society, uh, which is. A how shall I summarize this? This is a story about a person in the in the pandemic who basically gets fired um, from their job, and they are um, recruited by a mysterious organization that turns out to be it's it's a a you know non governmental organization that is all of, to protect animals except it turns out that they're protecting the animals because they have found a parallel universe <laughs> where um kaiju giant monsters like in a Godzilla movie walk the earth and they are the kaiju preservation society and their their job is to take care of the kaiju make sure they don't break through into our earth and study this alternate earth that has very different and dangerous properties. And then there's, you know, in, in there, then there is a plot where there are like billionaires trying to break in and, and bring Kaiju over to earth and all of that, that must be stopped. But um, it's a fairly straight, I mean, it's almost is it's not a portal fantasy, but it kind of is. It's a parallel <laughs> earth kind of thing. it's like, Oh, I wanted to save the whales. And instead I'm saving, saving giant city sized monsters that have nuclear reactors in their bodies. Um, but that is the, that's it. That's what the Kaiju Preservation <laughs> Society is all about. And it is, I mean, I said John Scalzi, but just to, to recap that, it is in a very conversational tone. There's lots of jokes. There's lots of references. There is definitely a political point of view. When I mentioned the billionaires earlier, just saying, billionaires, not the good guys. Uh, <laughs> and... There's, you know, and then there's an adventure. Some people die in a helicopter. There's a drama and uh, and excitement and adventure. Um, How do you all feel about the Kaiju Preservation Society? Scott? Uh, I uh, (laughs) feel very much the way I feel about all of John Scalzi's books, which is they are fun to read. Mm -hmm. They are pretty slight. um, Mm -hmm. And that's not a slight against them, against John Scalzi. it's it's a fun idea. He wrote a short, quick book about it. I enjoyed reading it. Yeah, this is not one of, of those. This is not one of those eighteen-hour audiobooks. <laughs> no, <laughs> and so I will say. So the nebulas. I think of the nebulas in my head as uh, um, kind of the fancy pants uh, science fiction and fantasy awards, where the books that are kind of pushing the limits are nominated uh that may or may not be true but that in my mind that is how i uh, think of the nebulas and then i think of the hugos as kind of a popularity contest about what books you know people just like reading and so they nominate them uh and so it makes complete sense to me that this was nominated for a hugo but not nominated for a nebula uh not to say it was poorly written uh but it's 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 not trying it doesn't have airs it's not trying to be anything that it isn't it's just he i think he set out to write an entertaining book mission accomplished yep. i enjoyed reading it when i was done with it it almost just evaporated from my mind <laughs> uh, and and that's not a bad thing because it was fun to read 
It also evaporated from my mind um, because when I sat down, I was like, okay, today we're talking about Nona the Ninth and what else? What's the other one? But as soon as I scrolled back in our uh, Slack channel, I was like, oh, right, that book, because this is another one I was, both of these books I was not looking forward to reading. Um, and I have, I've enjoyed every John Scalzi book that I have, have read previously, but I really don't care about kaiju. I don't like kaiju <laughs> movies. I don't, don't like kaiju fiction. Them? I just, I would probably not join the kaiju <laughs> preservation society. Um, you know, somebody else can handle preserving them, I would have, would have thought. But then I, I got this, uh, this one out of the library as well. And I started reading and I was, I don't even know how many pages I was in. It was very few. And I just kind of paused and thought to myself, good God, this man is talented. I, it was just such an easy read, but not just easy in, in the way of just like I could read it really fast, but it was just this, this wonderful balance of, of hitting all of the, the right notes, at least for me as a reader, of interesting character, interesting storytelling, um, you know, sort of doling out the mystery of what the heck is going on at the perfect pace. Um, on his blog, I think he described this uh, this book as being like a, a pop song. Um, you know, he was he was going for something that was catchy and fun. And I think that's the perfect description for it, because this was absolutely like a pop song of a book. It was really easy. It was fun. It sort of kind of got, got caught in my head. I was really interested to see what was happening. I still don't actually care about kaiju, but I care about the people who care about kaiju. <laughs> um, so, so you know, it, it, it and, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of billionaires either. So that was that was kind of nice to, to, you know, be feeling like I was against them along with the, the main character. And it was just it was interesting. I, I do like parallel world stories. So it was mm -hmm. nice to to sort of have that, uh, like you said, Jason, sort of portal fantasy-ish sort of thing yeah. going on, you know, because when you're over there, you're completely cut off from from our world. You can't, like, send emails or anything like that. Um, and, and yeah, it, the story took more interesting turns than I think I was expecting when it first uh, set out. And I thought it, it ended, like, very nicely. I felt good about the, where, you know, all the characters that were still alive uh, <laughs> were sort of they ended up. It was just just a really delightful read. I'm, you know, I don't think I'm necessarily going to go back to this and, and reread it, but I am very, very impressed at the ability to spin a yarn like this that is so effective and so easy and comfortable and fast. And it's like, that is that is a real skill that I can absolutely understand why people would want to put this on their their hugo um ballot because golly like i just i i enjoyed the act of reading this book more than i have anything for quite a while and uh and that, i think that's i think that's saying something aline you you got it's to spend less time with it <laughs> it's a fun little romp yeah. um i intentionally saved it for afternoon of the ninth because i knew <laughs> i would need a fun little romp and that is what scalzi delivers um in the afterward he talked a lot about how this wasn't the book that he was trying to write but because of um the pandemic and the general um psychic damage yeah. that everybody took in 2020 and 2021 he couldn't write the book he wanted which is a more like serious thing than he typically has undertaken um and i felt that you know and he in the afterward he also talks about how it was meant to be like a pop song and it that he delivers that's just he's very good 
at delivering books with a very distinctive voice. And that voice is, as was stated earlier, conversational, easy to read, not a challenge. You're not, you're not reading this. It's not N.K. Jemison or I, I, I can't even like insert an author who I've, I've said, I just look at individual sentences and they're just beautiful. That, that's not this, right? <laughs> um, but it delivers on the promise. And I think that, I think that it's, it's great for that. I also really appreciated, um, the kaiju themselves, even though I'm not, I'm not a monster movie person in general, whether it's kaiju or King Kong or whatever, like it just not my, my bag, but, um, I appreciate that at least in this universe, kaiju are not really, um, an organism it's a system and so it's Mm. like well it's it's yes it's 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 the kaiju but it's also the parasites and it's also you know this and it's also you know so i thought that that was a really interesting take on like how do you solve the problem of kaiju being too giant to exist in any in our understanding of physics um so yeah, like I I liked it. Um is it the eternal question uh can I understand why it was nominated? Yeah, I I understand why people wrote it on their ballots for sure. Um is it the best thing I've read lately? No, but it doesn't have to be. I should mention that it also won the Locus Award for best science fiction novel, which is another fan voted thing. Mm-hmm. Um Yep. I yeah, I agree with all of you. It's fun. Um it is. I mentioned on our last episode that I, I recently read Starter Villain, which is his new novel, which if it's not out yet, it will be out shortly. I read it on a NetGalley and I found it even lighter and more insubstantial than this one. <laughs> and that's why, I mean, it's fun. I also appreciate that the protagonist, Jamie, um, having a, a, a child named Jamie, I'm well aware that there are boy Jamies and there are girl Jamies and Scully doesn't specify lets you decide yep. or not decide about Jamie's gender, which is kind of oh, fun. Yep. I didn't pick up on that because I listened to it and it was narrated by Will Wheaton. So yeah. I just, Oh yeah. Jamie yep. could be, yep. uh, could be anything. Uh, <laughs> and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And and this is not the first time Scalzi has done that, but Scalzi said, you know, it's first person. doesn't matter. Right. Like it, it, it is uh, an interesting thing. I, yeah, he, he writes, Really, like it goes down easy. I guess I could say it's very smooth. It's very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy his. I enjoy his sense of humor. Sometimes I think he's trying too hard, but most of the time I don't. Most of the time I think he's trying just right. Um, and the concept of it, I, I think there is. It, I, I appreciate a, a book that says, "I know that the physics of this don't work. Just go with it." And it ha- literally has <laughs> one of the characters say. I know the physics of this don't work, but it's, it's, and they wave their arms around and say, it's an ecosystem and all this. And you're like, okay, just, I get it. Let's just go on. Cause we're having fun. And that's the point of it. And, and I could totally see that it's the kind of book that, you know, you're locked, you're locked in, in the pandemic and, uh, you're feeling down and you want to just have fun and you write a book like this. Um, so you know, if you want to have a good time, I I thought this was a lot of fun too. So I think we are all kind of endorsing it and, and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, I can see why people might vote for it for an award because it's a enjoyable read by a writer who basically always delivers at some level or other. Um, and you know what? John Scalzi's made a lot of money. He's got a big book contract. He's got to deliver a lot of books. This is one of them. 
Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I am going to say, I know big of me Put to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> I think John Scalzi is an extremely talented writer who has written, what? who has written some books. What? Well, wait for it though. That's, there's going to be a butt here in a second. <laughs> he, he has written some extremely good books when he is, when he challenges himself. I think old, old man's war being a challenge to write a Heinlein novel, essentially. It's a great novel. I think yep. that Zoe's tale, which is him saying, what if I retold the story of Old Man's War, but as a young adult novel? I think it's a really good novel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I, with having read Kaiju and enjoyed it and having read Starter Villain and enjoyed it a little bit less. Look, I'm not concerned about John Scalzi, but I'm a little frustrated that he isn't challenging himself. And maybe some of that is where he is in, you know, mentally with the pandemic and everything like that and wanting to do that. I I don't I can't say. But what I can say is I'm feeling a little disappointed in John Scalzi because I know he's capable of better than the books that he's churning out. And if they're making him money and he's happy, great. But I would love to see a little more challenge from him. I would love to see him try to push in whatever direction he wants to go a little bit more than these last couple of books, because I just, again, they're insubstantial and they're fun and that's great. And if that's all he ever does and that's all he ever wants to do. Okay. But like, I feel like I've seen more talent from him than has been on display and he can get away with it because he's such a good breezy writer but I, I feel like he could do more. And when we're reading these books, as Scott said, some of them really challenge you. And you read a book like this and it's like a, a gentle gust of warm air, right? It's not challenging, but it's pleasant. And that's a nice change of pace. But I also think John Scalzi could probably do things that were more challenging <laughs> for some of the time. And I'd like to see that. So that's my Scalzi rant, mini rant. is just, <laughs> I, oh, I think these books are good. I think he's more talented than this. I think he's taken an easy route. And if it's making him money and making his publishers and his readers happy, great. I just wish they were, a lot of money. I wish it was more. I wish it was a little bit, he tried, he, he tried to do something a little more challenging for himself because I think he uh, would do a good job. I agree with all of that. And I think... I think maybe he's feeling it too, just kind of based on the afterword of the book where he was like, look, I was trying to write something more challenging. <laughs> I I could not. I did not have the brain space for it. And um, yeah, I, I totally agree because this is tonally very similar to books like Red Shirts, which I thought was fine. Um, like, I think this book is is fine. I think it's good. I think you should read it. I understand why it was nominated for Hugo. I understand why it was not nominated for a Nebula, you know, like, um, but yeah, he is, he's talented. He's got great ideas. And I genuinely hope that um, maybe when he doesn't have a 10 book contract in a certain amount of time weighing over him or something that we get something um, a little, I don't know, a little toothier from him. I, I agree. And I went to, I made a mistake perhaps of going to see John Scalzi read, um, several years ago and it was very entertaining. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, uh, you, you, when you get in a room with someone who is in a room full of people who are just ready to laugh at anything they say, mm. even if it's not particularly funny, uh, you fear that they are just buying into the hype of Mm. what they have built around them. And that's what I kind of get a little sense of his latest novels um, kind of feeding into that idea, right? He's delivering, I think what 
he expects people want from him. And he's right because lots and lots of people are buying them and he's award, he's getting uh, uh, award nominations. But I think that he can do better. He also made an interesting, like, this was the like the day after Ray Bradbury died. Uh, so he read uh, one of Ray Bradbury's short stories, There Will Come Soft Rains, which is an amazing mm. story. Mm. Uh, and Ray Bradbury is like an amazing writer. Uh, so it was just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I know it was very touching and he cried reading it and it was it was a wonderful moment, but it also made me think, Mr. Scalzi, I think you could you could apply yourself a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Scott that's writing it. his report card. Yeah, that's your English exactly. teacher talking, John. Young John S. <laughs> your English teacher says, yeah. apply yourself a bit more. I also read the the afterward and you know he talked a little bit about the the much darker book that would that he was supposed to be writing and and at the end of it he says you know maybe someday I will you know he's this it was absolutely the right decision to stop trying to force that out and then this just came like very easily and at the end he said you know will I ever go back to that previous book I you know I'm not sure maybe at some point I will be in the right headspace and I feel like I hope Someday he is, because it sounds like that would have been definitely uh, sort of a shift back towards something that is maybe a little bit more to- toothy. <laughs> was, that, was that the yeah. word that you used? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but uh, and, and I honestly wasn't even interested in the like the 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 cover blurb for starter villain and i think i obviously i only read this because it was nominated for an award and i'm really glad that i did but not glad enough that i think i'm going to go and check out starter yeah. villain so that's where i it's land it's like this it's it's even more insubstantial than this one um i i will also point out us being consistent in episode 101 of the incomparable we did we talked about red shirts and one of the big subjects was is is it pandering too much and then when Scott described the audience at the John Scalzi reading, I was like, yeah, that's what I worry about with him is that yeah. he's so applauded for this. And I just, again, he's going to live his life. And if, if yeah. this is his career, that's great. But like I, I said, like Scott, English teacher Scott said, I think if he applied himself, he could do much, much more. And I just think it's, again, look, play the hits. It's great. Do the pop songs. That's fine. But like it is there's one thing when you you listen to a pop band and you're like wow they're really good at this and there's another one where you listen and you're like oh they've got a real like some of these songs are really complex uh they should do more of that and they're like, and they're like no our agent says we can't do more of that like i, I want a little <laughs> more of that because i think that would be fun and i've seen glimmers of it but i also understand why it is the way it is so maybe we will get that more complex uh book like i said i, I would love to see him challenge himself again because i don't think he's challenging himself he's just ripping through these things and he does a good job with it but i it doesn't yeah, seem like he's fun. I, i'm not sensing any sweat from john scalzi in these books it's fun well and he's worth. i feel like he's always been pretty transparent that he's here to make money, right? Like well, sure. he he um he's not writing for the love of writing. Although I get the sense that he loves to write, but he is he is a novelist who is lucky enough to be able to support his family and that is what he is doing. And I mean, I I respect that even though as a reader I I'm kind of like I, I I see your potential and I want more. But if he like, challenges if himself, he can do. It's, it's not as if if he challenges himself, he's not going to sell books. I'm not saying he should set his career on fire and write in a different no, no, genre, no, genre under a pseudonym. I'm just <laughs> under a pseudonym. I just think he he maybe could challenge himself. And I'll say even Stephen King, who does not have to try anymore, you know, sometimes he tries. Not always, 
Sometimes he really tries. <laughs> Not always. <laughs> and, and, but but sometimes. And mm-hmm. uh, that's that's sort of what I'm getting at with Scalzi yep. is that is that I get the same vibe from him. He's got it made, I feel like, right? He's got it made. Yeah. I just wish I think so. that he could do more with his talent sometimes because it's there and this book is nice and fine. But I think he can do better than nice and fine. We're all very, yep. we're not, look, we're not angry. John, <laughs> we're just disappointed. Just a little. Are we? I'm, I'm not even disappointed. I'm not disappointed. I just, just elevate, just elevate a little uh, bit. 50% of us are disappointed. <laughs> I'm an expectant. Like, I feel like there, oh. you know, one of these days, another, you know, something's going to drop from him and it's going to vibrate on that frequency. And I'm going to be really excited about it. It doesn't help that I've read the book after this that he wrote. And it's even more <laughs> of the problems uh, I have with yeah. this one in terms yeah. of its lightness and insubstantiality and jokiness. But. Anyway, he's a good writer. I just, yeah, well, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe someday he'll uh, he'll make me <laughs> lean forward and go, yes, John Scalzi. But uh, that'll be, you know, until now, see me is written on the top of his paper. See me. <laughs> Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. That brings us to the end of the books. And so now... Uh, I should, we're going to do, what are we reading? Where we talk about other books that we've been reading. But before we do that, I'm going to mention right here, the, by process of elimination, you could go look it up, but the books that we're going to read for our next episode, your assignment, if you'd like to read along with us, they will be The Spare Man by Mary Robinette Kowal, um, and the daughter of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Sylvia Moreno Garcia. She's back with another one. Those are our next two books because those are the last remaining Hugo nominees that we have not read on this podcast or for this podcast. We don't read on the podcast. We'd be very quiet and very long. Except for Unless Arlene's we were reading version. out loud. <laughs> uh, so for Aline's version too, where we'd hear yeah. the audiobook playing in the background. Yep. Uh, and then we get sued. Yeah, and that's no good. So we don't do that. Anyway, uh, The Spare Man uh, and The Daughter of Dr. Moreau, two very different novels. <laughs> I've um, only read one of them so far, so we'll they're, see. They're very different. But now let us move on to what are we reading? Which again is not about what we're reading while we record a podcast. That would be rude. It's about books we've read recently that we think that you might be interested in. Scott, mm-hmm. what are we reading? <laughs> I I don't know how to answer that question. But what I have read recently, uh, I will recommend two books that you really shouldn't start with but i'm gonna do it anyway because i can uh one of i read a lot of science fiction and a lot of fantasy uh i like those genres i like genre fiction in general and i read a lot of mysteries uh and one of the things that you will find when you read mysteries is that there are many 
many mystery series uh, where an author comes up with a unique idea or maybe not even such a unique idea and has some characters that are interesting and you like the characters so you read a ton of the books in the series uh, and sometimes the law of diminishing returns happens where the books get worse and worse and worse as or, or we'll make that more positive less enjoyable as mm. time goes on uh, and sometimes you get to the 10th book in a series and it is an amazing payoff for the previous nine huh. books that you have read and you think this is why I read these long-running series of books. And one such book is the 10th book in the Barker and Llewellyn series, Blood is Blood, which is kind of like, uh, it's a Sherlock Holmesy, you know, set in England in the 19th century in London. Cyrus Barker and an associate, Thomas Llewellyn, uh, solve mysteries, and they're both interesting characters. And this book ties in a bunch of things from the previous nine books and pays off. There's a wedding, and it's all very nice. And uh, you, you, if you have been reading along, you get to this book and you think, yes. I am pleased with how this book has come out, uh, and it is very nice. And it, it doesn't end the series, which is always nice as well, because there's more to read. But it's like one of those kind of milestone books where you think, okay, I've invested the time, and this is paid off here. Similarly, there's another book, uh, another series that is very different, but also kind of a spin on Sherlock Holmes uh, by Joe Ide. Uh, it is the IQ series. It's about a uh, uh, a guy in uh, based in Compton who solves mysteries. He's super smart uh, and he doesn't, I think it's Compton, and he somewhere in LA and he uh, doesn't take payment, but through like, you know, casseroles and other things. And he does all like he solves murder mysteries and helps people find their cats. And it's uh, all very interesting. And the sixth book in the series is called Fix It. And uh, IQ, who's the main character, has been through a lot through the first five books. Uh, and uh, the sixth book does a little bit of like what Nona did, where you read it and a character shows up and you're like, oh, that's the character from the third book, only I remember who this is because it isn't some weird uh, person in a different body <laughs> or something. Numbered, <laughs> numbered necromancer in a different body, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so you're like, oh, this is great. And so it's like the greatest hits in, in book number six, but also tying up this long-running story uh, and uh, well-written. I think all of the books in the IQ series are a lot of fun, but this sixth book was... Really very good. So my my suggestion to everyone listening is read nine books in the Barker and Llewellyn series and get to the tenth book and it's really oh, good. Uh, and then read five books in the the <laughs> IQ series and get to the sixth book and the payoff on both books really great. <laughs> wow, right. there's some that's advice. a lot of homework. <laughs> yeah, Erica, what are we reading? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, before I dive into my fun reading, uh, I did a little bit more homework reading uh, because now that the Hugo nominees are out, I was like, all right, well, in, in between fun reading and novel reading, I'm going to start in on those novellas. And uh, one of the novellas was written by Ni Vo, um, and she she wrote The Empress of Salt and Fortune, which was a novella that oh, was nominated yeah. um, loved it. in 2021. I loved it. I just thought mm -hmm. it was so great. So I was like... Oh, cool. Another book by her. And I opened it up. I took it out from the library. I opened it up and it says uh, The Singing Hills Cycle, book three. And I was like, 
Oh, what? so this is the third book in a series. It's the third book in the Empress of Salt and Fortune yeah. series. So I was like, sweet. So I went back and I reread the Empress of Salt and Fortune, and I continue to recommend people read that book if you have not already. If you have read it, you might want to refresh your memory. It's still great. Mm. Um, it's it, There's a, 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 a cleric named Chi who has a talking bird who remembers everything and they uh, their job is basically to document things and write stuff down. And there's this uh, an old woman who tells a tale from, uh, from many years ago about uh, the banished empress and it's just this beautifully worked story. Um, you, you get little bits and pieces doled out based on what the cleric is finding uh, in the ruins of this. Well, it's not really a ruin. They're cl- house. clearing out the old house. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's been it's been preserved with magic and it's just been like reopened to the world. So it's a great story. Uh, so I went back and I reread that and that was lovely still. Um, the second book in the series is called When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain. It is still the same cleric, Chi, and uh, this time the bird is not there because this takes place in a very cold area where they are beset by tigers that can also turn into people and are able to survive by telling and listening to stories. So it's kind of a similar framework. You know, we get this this cleric going around and learning about history and taking notes so that it's preserved for people. I didn't enjoy that book nearly as much. It was, it was still good. It was still interesting. Um, but like, I'm not going to go back and reread that one uh, because there is now a fourth one, um, which I have not read yet, but that I did go to the third one called Into the Riverlands, which is nominated for a Hugo for this year. And it's not as good as the Empress of Salt and Fortune, but I think it's better than the second one. Uh, it's it's a it's about a, a group of traveling companions, including the cleric, uh, who are trying to get from one place to another, and they are again telling each other. This time, there's a bunch of of smaller stories, sort of woven together. Each person in this little group tells a different story from their past or stories that are told again and again in the Riverlands as they go. And at the end, it sort of weaves together, and you find out that these stories are maybe uh, more connected than you would have thought at the beginning. So it's it's. I felt like it wasn't quite as elegant and beautiful as the the very first novella, but um, it it definitely felt a little bit more impressive than that second one. So I will probably go on and read the fourth one at some point, whether it's nominated or not. Um, but yeah, so that was that was my other homework reading. So mm-hmm. so once again, just like Scott said, okay, so you need to read these two novellas and then you can read this third one, uh, which is also quite good. Um, the, the more for fun reading... I have one quick uh, short fiction recommendation from Uncanny Magazine, issue 53. It's called uh, Tanty Merle and the Farmhand 4200 by RSA Garcia. Uh, And it is just a really delightful, heartwarming story of uh, an old lady uh, in the nearest to slightly far future, uh, a goat and an AI farming robot and the hijinks that happened um, amongst those three characters. And it just made me so happy. I will probably read it again when I'm having a down day because it was pretty short and lots of fun. Uh, and the last one is uh, The Echo Wife by Sarah Gailey, which, yeah. I, which I bought during a previous book club <laughs> on, on Jason's recommendation. And I agree. It is a good book, but I don't think I enjoyed it as much as Jason did. It is, it's a first-person narrative. And that first person is not very nice. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Gailey, oh, no. uh, Sarah Gailey, they, they tend to write characters that are very spiky. 
So like if that sort of thing appeals to you, I second everybody's recommendation to check out their work in general and this book in particular. Um, but if you don't really want to spend several hundred pages in the mind of someone who is really quite messed up and is in a really quite messed up situation, this one might not be for you. Uh, as a reminder, plot wise, the, the messed up situation is that the main character developed cloning technology that her husband secretly stole and used to clone her and then dumped her for the clone and mm-hmm. then things go downhill from there so it's a like the, that premise sold it to me but I did not enjoy reading it as much as I thought I would based on that premise simply because I was I felt like I was wearing a very ill-fitting piece of clothing or something as I was as reading that book from the perspective of somebody that I had nothing in common with so um, what, what I said review. about it I, I actually was prompted to write a review on Goodreads about this and this is mm. I think this will determine whether you want to read it or not is it's about broken people and broken relationships and uses science fiction as a tool to tell a larger story about the burdens of parents and children and about power dynamics and relationships and about gender bias. That's mm. what it is. It's very rich and all, all of that, but remember, I'll refer you to the beginning. It's about broken people and the, pro- yep. and the protagonist is broken. She is mm-hmm. a wreck and does lots of bad things and is not <laughs> is not our hero even though what is done to her is worse also bad yeah <laughs> uh but still yes anyway i i i just i keep thinking about that book like that's the i i just yeah yeah i i, I agree with you erica it is spiky but yep boy hmm. still it, good. it just really good, it just really but... hit me that because I, I love a book that's challenging like that and it's like hey i've got a premise i am not gonna let you down Every part of this premise is going to be examined. <laughs> uh, Aline? Hi. Uh, okay. I, I am doing two books. Two books. Okay. Yes. Limited um, to two of the 90 you've read <laughs> since our last episode. So the first I finished today and it is The Vampire Knitting Club. I don't necessarily recommend this because it is the best book in all of history, but it has a lot of accurate knitting references in it. And as a person who is knitting while listening to her friends talk on this podcast, I appreciated it. There's a brioche joke. Um, People who knit understand (laughs) that brioche is a a knitting technique, but most people think it's bread. It is. Um, So the Vampire Knitting Club is um, this young woman, I think she's 27, is um, arrives in London to spend time with her grandmother um, and helping her grandmother um, in her uh, yarn store. And she arrives in London and her grandmother has passed away um, three weeks prior to her arrival. She was off, unable to be communicated with Um, and there's a mystery around, um, her grandmother's, um, passing. It is, um, it is, the mystery is further compounded when she finds out that her grandmother is in fact a vampire and not dead, but undead and, um, living below the knitting shop. Um, so, (laughs) you know, then she has to figure out how her grandmother died. She, she is actually, um, a witch, but her witchy abilities have been repressed for her whole life. Um, it's it's just it's this weird like paranormal paranormal cozy mystery um, that 
is good enough that I will continue the series. It wasn't, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm going to keep doing this. But so often when people write about knitting, people, they get it wrong. It's, it's mm. just, it's not accurate. They talk about how inexpensive that sweater will be to make. And let me tell you, oh, wow. knitting wow. a sweater, far <laughs> no. more expensive than buying oh, it in a no. store. No, 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 far no. more expensive than buying it in a store. Um, so I just, I really appreciated the accuracy. There's at one point, uh, a couple who comes into the knitting store and um, he's giving her gruff for how much she's spending on yarn, which is something that has happened in my marriage. Um, so I don't know. It was it was fun. It was fun to see myself reflected in in the story. Um, and then the other one is uh, the fourth or not the fourth wing, just fourth wing by Rebecca Yaros. This has been all over Book Talk and Bookstagram, and um, it's a I think a new adult fantasy novel so a little older than young adults there there's you know there's sex in it so they're assuming that people are of age but it's still a little young um it is tropey um but the thing that i appreciated about this um this story which is a um which is a, a magical school where people go to become dragon riders and fight in a war and probably they'll die before they even get through school. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a nice little universe and it's predictable, but it's not completely predictable. So um, I'm, I'm a person who usually can pattern match well enough that I know what's going to happen. You know, like I know how fantasy novels work. I know what direction this is going to go in. And it does go in that direction, but it does also throw some surprises in that makes it interesting enough to continue reading and makes it um, not a frustrating read. You know, it's not one of those books where I sat down and I thought, well, I could have outlined this at the beginning <laughs> and got everything correct. Um its sequel is coming out later this year. I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, I don't love it on the level that I've seen people talking about it um, on social media. Um, I think that it's a good, it's a really good book and it's worth a read. It, it's not my favorite book of the year or anything. How's that for a ringing endorsement? But okay. it was, it was good. I liked the universe. I liked the world building. Um, the protagonist is a chronically ill um, person with hypermobility and pain issues. I totally completely relate to that. I appreciated having a, a chronically ill, somewhat disabled person as a protagonist doing hard things um and it it was great i liked it all right that's all we're asking for it doesn't have to be the best book it's just a book mm -hmm. you liked that now other people can try all right i have two as well um witch king by martha wells you may know martha wells as um the Murderbot diaries writer this is a fantasy novel and it's pretty much you know it's a setup that you might be familiar with. So there's a, there's been a, a revolution in this fantasy world and they've overthrown the bad guys and they've, the demons that gave the bad guys, uh, you know, their power or legend or whatever are, are have been, have been locked up. Um, and a group of people decide that they need to go, um, and they're going to wake up the demon and they're going to use the demon to, do a counter-revolution, basically, and make sure that the the story goes the way they want it to go. All right. And what do you think happens? They wake up the demon, and the demon um, 
it doesn't go well, right? It doesn't go well. The demon. <laughs> what? You don't say. It what? turns out trying to, to wake up a demon, um, you think you can cast summon demon in a D&D game. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it'll be fine. And I assure you, this is cross promotion for Total Party Kill. Hi, Tony oh, Sindelar. Yes. It it won't go fine. The difference yes. in Witch King is that the demon is the protagonist of the book, um, and the demon wakes up from his his sort of living death, where he he has no memory of how he got there, uh, how long it's been, and after he takes care of the people who woke him up, it doesn't take mm-hmm. long. He has to figure out how he got here, who put him here, why was he imprisoned, and um, what is this, you know, who were these people who tried to get him out, and what is the plot, and what does it all mean? He's got to find his loved ones who are scattered all over, and he doesn't know if they're okay or, or, or not, and he has to do all of this. And then in flashback, there is a parallel story, which is how this all came to be from back at the very beginning of his life on this world. Um, and the rise, sort of the, uh, that revolution and the overthrow of the, the natural order by one particular group. And so by the end, you end up in the same geographic location in both storylines at a moment where the plot of the main story is resolved and the inciting events that started the whole premise off happen. And they happen back to back in chapters at the end. It's very well constructed. I really enjoyed both stories. I really enjoy the main character who they call a demon, but you know, it's your protagonist. He got reasons. Um, and (laughs) he's misunderstood and and actually, yeah. Um, and it's just, there's like the, the magic systems are very interesting and the, and, and, uh, and I had somebody describe it to me as being a book where like, it's nice to see competent people doing competent things. And there's some aspect of that, which is, you know, in the end, this is like, all right, I'm awake. I got to find my friend, found my friend. Now I need a, a way off of this place. Uh, how about this? We did that. Now I got to find the people who did this to me. How do I do that? Well, I need to go over here and do that thing. And that's going to lead me to this person who's going to, and that's it, right? Like, that's what the story is. It just kind of like ticks along as, as this expert person, the demon, uh, the, the witch king, the, the, the titular witch king figures out all of these steps as he goes. And I just, I really enjoyed it. I think it's very good. Uh, we didn't know what to expect from the, the writer of the Murderbot series doing a fantasy novel. I really liked it. I think it's very good. Um, so witch king. And I also want to recommend Infinity Gate by M.R. Carey, which is the first book in a series. So, hooray, I'm not recommending a book that requires homework. However, (laughs) I will say that Mm. when you get to the end of its 544 pages, it stops in the middle of the story. (laughs) Oh, boy. And book two's not out yet. (laughs) So... Anyway, it was really good. It's a story about multiverses where the idea here is that there are the multiverse is truly infinite. And that's the point of it is that there are infinite variations of planets. And so uh, some a scientist invents the ability to travel in the multiverse. Um, she ends up discovering uh, basically stepping in it on a planet that is governed by something called the Pan Dominion, which is a uh, 
an empire now democracy a united yeah. nations i don't know of federation of a <laughs> federation yeah something like that of millions of planets that are not just humans but other creatures that have evolved on earth instead of humans over the course because again infinity of possibilities um and they aren't really thrilled with other people uh going between multiverses. So she gets in trouble, but we also learn about this entire multiversal pandominion. And also we discover that there is something, uh, else that they don't understand. There are some earths that they go to that have been completely wiped out. Like there's no living creatures of any kind on them. And they call that the scour. And so they're very concerned that there is a monstrous force out there and that the pandominion, is trying to protect their planets from this monstrous force. And then there's the discovery of another force that's a machine organism that is on many planets that is a threat. Although when they attack it, they discover uh, it like they, as with all their skills and all their technological prowess, they kind of can't do anything to it. They kind of can't hurt it at all. Um, very interesting twists, very interesting set of characters Everything comes to a head in that moment where you're like, oh, here we go. We've gone right back to where this all started, but now we've learned a lot and there's a lot of complexity and these characters are finally going to come together and please check out my next book. <sighs> anyway, it's a good book. Uh, if you like to read books and then wait for the next book in the story, this is one for you. If you would like to go right to that second book, I recommend putting a bookmark somewhere about it or, or just bookmark the page of this podcast, whatever for infinity gate by MR Carey. It's very good. I really did enjoy it, but I just need to put up that red flag that it does not have an ending. It has a climax. Uh, it's like, uh, it's like the the Spider Verse movie, right? It's there's another one. The story doesn't really end. <laughs> it 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 comes to an interesting point and then says, "Please enjoy my next book next year." So anyway, Infinity Gate. That's what I'm reading. I I also like that book. Did you? I did. Good. All right, book buddies, you and me. Woo, we're on it. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Scott McNulty's in my Goodreads. There he is. Four stars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good book. What will happen next, Scott? We don't know. Uh, I, I didn't we'll remember it book. ending on a cliffhanger. So, <laughs> oh yeah, oh, it, 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 I mean, yeah, yeah, it does, it does. They oh, go, wait, yes, I do. They go back to, they go back to the. There's a lot of stuff. They go, it, there's a lot of stuff in there. It's infinite. It's infinite. There is a moment that yeah. I really like in that where where M R Carey, my, this is Mike Carey, who did uh, we did a, a comic book club back in the first like year of the show about one of his comics as Mike Carey. Um, uh, there's a moment where one of the characters is trying to explain infinity and basically said, okay, you've got, you got planet one and planet two. How many planets are in between them? And they're like, well, none. And they're like, no, no, no. Uh, like, oh, okay. So like 1.1, 1 1.2. .1, and they're like, yeah, 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 sure. Okay. Planet one and planet 1.1. .1, how many planets are in between those two? It's like, uh, yeah, 1.11, 1, 1.12. And then you can keep doing that. It's like, it's an infinite amount. <laughs> <laughs> between any two planets is an infinite amount that's how infinity works and it's a great moment of like most multiversal things don't do it that way right where it's like oh there's a, there's a thousand spider-verse planets like no there's infinity right like there's infinity what are the ramifications of infinity um mr carrie does a great job with that um okay i think that brings us to the end of this podcast oh <gasps> all right oh my. but we had a good time we we talked about books 
That's what we do. That's why we do it. We will be back again in September, probably. So next month, it's August now. Next month Mm -hmm. to talk about the daughter of Dr. Moreau and the Spare Man. We got a like a noirish sci-fi mystery. And we've got a sort of retelling of the island of Dr. Moreau. Interesting. Oh boy. Um, it's not like <laughs> it's not like the movie, Erica. <laughs> I mean, Kilmer, I didn't even watch I didn't even watch the movie, and I and I know I don't want to, so that's what's the, making me scared of this book. <laughs> I mean, one of the characters, and I did start to think, well, what if I pictured him as Val, Val Kilmer? Oh no. Does he want to go to dog heaven? <laughs> uh, but I didn't. And and uh, so anyway, those are our two books for next time. The last two Hugo nominees. Uh, now I just need to thank my panel for being here for another book club. Elaine Sims, thank you for reading slash listening to many books. Hmm. Hmm. Eric Ensign, thank you. I'm gonna cross back over this bar and take a nap before I read the next <laughs> book. All right, books will be placed on the other side of the bar to coax you <laughs> over back again over the bar. later. And Scott McNulty, thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thanks to everyone out there who took time away from their reading to listen to a podcast. <gasps> we'll see you next time. Maybe they're reading while they're listening. No! no.